Well, welcome everybody. You're so welcome to Lighthouse Church today. Uh, my name is Jamie and I'm one of the pastors on team and we are thrilled that you are able to join us today at the end of an amazing series that we have been doing called Witness, which I'll introduce momentarily. Now the reason why I can't be with you in person today is because unfortunately one of our churches on the island of Ireland is going through a very difficult struggle and I have to be there with them in person so I was able to record this message just for you to be able to close off this amazing series. And as we close off this series, I mean, it's kind of sad because it really was, and I heard so much great feedback from you about how helpful a series it was. But the good news is that we're ending with a bang because next Sunday, everybody, we are celebrating Easter 2022. We've called it Kosk, which of course is Easter Osgeliga. And next Sunday, we're going to throw a big party, a big celebration, because many of you, or many of us, or many people in the world, consider Christmas to be the greatest Christian event, calendar, holiday thing. But actual fact, the resurrection is more important than Christmas because Jesus coming is one thing, but Jesus dying and rising from the dead is everything. And so next Sunday, we have an incredible service, a plan, some special openers. So be there early, be there on time. Don't miss our opener. And of course, a very, very special message. I want to encourage you to make sure to invite your friends and family to be here, to help like and share and comment. Uh, get, just get the, get the word out there that next Sunday, Lighthouse Church is going to be celebrating Easter, Kosk, and of course, the power of the resurrection message. But back to our series. So today, as we kind of close off this series called Witness, the Gospel in Action. It's been a five-part series, and this is week five. And all of the messages over the last five weeks are on our YouTube channel. You can go to our website or our app, by the way, download our app, and you can watch all those. And of course, as always, all of today's notes are in the Bible app by you version. Click on more, click on events, and all of the notes are there for you. But let's just do a quick recap of how we've gotten here to week five. Back in week one, we learned that when Jesus spoke to his disciples in the book of Acts, and again, the book of Acts is the second volume to the Gospel of Luke. It's the continuation of the story of Jesus' ministry through his people, the church. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus speaks to his disciples and says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And really what Jesus is saying is that when you are following me and when my Holy Spirit comes in you and on you, when you receive this power, this is, this is not just a general power to do cool tricks or cool stunts. It's a power that enables and emboldens you to be a witness, whether it's in like Dublin, uh, which would be Jerusalem, whether it's in the county like Judea, the province of Leinster like Samaria, or beyond the shores of our nation. So what does it mean then to be a witness? We learned that the English dictionary defines a witness as being a person who sees an event, an individual who being present personally sees or perceives a thing, a beholder, a spectator, or an eyewitness. A, a witness is someone who can affirm, a witness is someone who can verify, a witness is someone who can validate a truth that something has happened and they were witnesses of it. Now we are witnesses, of course, of the gospel. We are witnesses of the, of the good news. The word gospel in Greek literally means good news. And for, for many of us who grew up in church, maybe your parents are Christ followers or you're, or you're raised in church, you've heard the word gospel thrown around, uh, yet so few understand really what the gospel is. And even if you are someone who's got a degree of biblical lit literacy, a, a degree of biblical knowledge, still we get confused because we think the gospel means Jesus 
Jesus died on the cross. And that is true. Jesus dying on the cross is part of the gospel, but it isn't the full thing. And as we get ready for Easter this week, I think this is particularly crucial. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 to 8, the Apostle Paul, who's writing to a local church like ours in a city called Corinth, which still exists in modern-day Greece, he's writing to the Christians there, to the Christ followers, and he wants to explain, he breaks down to them what the gospel is. And here we go. He breaks down into... Uh, four main parts. Number one, that yes, Christ died on the cross for our sins. This idea that we have something in us that God needs to heal, that God needs to, God needs to redeem for us to be able to be in relationship with him. And we can't heal ourselves and we can't fix ourselves. So Jesus came to die and pay the price for the parts of us that, we, that are unfixable by ourselves. And of course, second of all, he didn't just die, but actually he was physically buried in the tomb. This is so important. Why? Because the one thing we all have in common, guys, is we're all going to at some point pass away and be buried in some sense, in some way, somewhere. And Jesus shared not only in the experience of death, but also in burial. But here's the difference. Where many have died and many have been buried, none have rose like Jesus rose. Because on the third day, he rose from the dead. And the reason why I say haven't rose like he has rose, because Jesus is the only person in history to rise from the dead, never to die again. This is so important as we approach Easter week. And here's where the witness part comes in. Because what happened was, was so many of the early Jesus followers weren't actually fully believing that Jesus was all that he said he was because like I've said before many weren't there waiting in the morning that he rose it was it was because he appeared to Peter and the apostles and over 500 disciples at one time that all of a sudden this message this good news that this this incredible uh, Christ-centered revolution began to sweep through the world and just like these early disciples we too are called to be his witnesses. You and I, us, we are called to be his witnesses. Witnesses were told to the world, to our cities, to our counties, to our provinces, to our villages, witnesses online, witnesses across the shores, witnesses everywhere to everyone all the time. Now, let's just kind of shift gear and turn a corner. What we've said every week through this series is there's some pushbacks this because when we hear this, we go, okay, that sounds great. And maybe you're, you're here and you're a skeptic. You're not a Christ follower. And you're thinking, how much does this apply to me? If any of it applies to me. And again, I'm so glad you're with us. So stay tuned because there will be some things today that I want to say that are specifically for those of us here today who aren't you know, believers, aren't Christ followers, aren't people of faith per se. For the rest of us who are people who are saying, I follow Jesus and I'm a Christ follower, we have some pushbacks. One of the the, the main ones is we say, well, look, that may be true, Jamie, but it's not my responsibility. I'm not the priest. I'm not the pastor. I mean, aren't there paid professionals whose job it is to be a witness? And way back in week one, we addressed this pushback. The second pushback, as people, people say, is, hey, I don't have a great story. Like, there's nothing really exciting in my past. Like, I, I wasn't like some crazy gang leader who was arrested for 50 years with 5 million tattoos and a bullet lodged in the side of my head. Like, I don't have a great story, so, so I can't be a great witness. And again, two weeks ago, uh, we, we heard an incredible message about three women in the book of Acts that 
didn't have a great story in a sense, but God used them in a great way. Another pushback we get is, I don't have the moral authority to witness. Like, Jamie, if you knew my story, if you knew how unchristlike I am, you, you, would, you would never allow me to even, even consider being witness. But again, in week two, we learned that you don't have to have the moral authority in of yourself to be an effective witness because we don't point to ourselves, we point to Jesus. And then, of course, looked at last week, I don't know what to say when I witness, like e- even if even if I can overcome these first three pushbacks, like like I don't know what to say. And last Sunday we talked about how how do we overcome that? What do we say? How do we tell our story? Well, today in part five, the final message, we're going to look at the final pushback, which is of course, what will I do if people don't want to hear my witness? What will I do if people don't like what I'm saying? What will I do if people reject me? I'm afraid people re- will reject me. Uh, if I witness. I'm afraid of being rejected. Now again, just time out. I understand that every single one of us, even the most extroverted, most overly confident person, all of us struggle with a fear of rejection. It's just a deeply, deeply human thing. Uh, Some more than others, but nonetheless, we all share uh, we all find ourselves on a spectrum of fear when it comes to rejection, whether it's being rejected by a, an employer, by a, by a potential uh, partner, uh, whether it's by, rejected by parents or, or, or friends. We all fear, in a sense. And some of us have, most of us have been burned at one point in our lives by this. And again, this is so big that, to be honest with you, we could do a whole series, and maybe we will one day, a whole series on how do we overcome this, 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 this incapacitating fear of rejection. But today, in the context of witnessing, today, as we close the series, really the question we're asking is, how do I overcome my fear of rejection in, in the sense of to, be, to become or be able to be an effective witness? So today, we're looking very specifically at just one, one side or one point of rejection as it pertains to our ability to be witness. But again, it could, it could have applications beyond that. So what we're going to do is we're going to turn together to the book of Acts, chapter 16, Chapter 17, forgive me, verse 16 to verse 34. One of my favorite chapters of the book of Acts. This is where the Apostle Paul has landed at the city of Athens, okay? He's arrived in the city of Athens right at its height, right when Athens was in its glory days. And uh, arriving there, the Apostle Paul is motivated to witness to the people based on what is before. And we're going to not look at every single verse, but we're going to look at some of the key verses, but I do encourage you to read the full chapter yourself later on. But I want to look at a couple of key moments within these verses where we see, where we see in the Apostle Paul an example, uh, encouragement, inspiration for how we can overcome a fear of rejection. Verse 16, then here it is. It says, while Paul was waiting for them, that is his fellow travelers, they were in the city before. Paul went ahead. He was waiting because he was in some trouble uh, because people didn't like what he was saying. And so Paul's basically in Athens killing time. And what seems like a, 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 a waiting room is actually, is actually where God wants him to be, which is an interesting story from the other day. Um, when we're told that he was greatly distressed to see, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full 
of idols. And what's an idol? An idol is anything that was made in the image of man or animals or creation that sets itself up, is deified as God, but is a fact a God with a small g. Anything that we create and say, that's God, we should worship it. Any kind of statue or image is an idol. And God actually speaks to us and has spoken to us throughout the scriptures to say that this does not please him and he does not like human beings creating things in, in, the, in the imagined image of what he is like. God is too big to be captured in anything that mankind can create. Like, and if you're a Christ follower, can I hear an amen? We're told that Paul was distressed because of this. And this is interesting because what we see is we see that Paul cared. I'll say it again. Paul cared about what he saw. Paul cared about the fact that people were confused about who God is and what God does and, and how this should come to God. This, is, this presents a very interesting point at the very get-go. The idea that impactful witness requires inspiring passion. I'll say it again. Impactful witness requires inspiring passion. Now, when we think about inspiring passion, again, those of you who are introverts, those of you who are naturally more quiet and kind of you know, like to kind of flow in and out of rooms without being noticed, you don't like the fanfare, you don't like dominating conversations, straight away we think, oh man, like that, that cancels me out. But like I've been saying throughout the series, things like passion and things like inspiration don't have to be extroverted. Think about how many famous artists or Nobel Peace Prize winning authors or scientists or even just people you know in your life who have this inspirational passion within them, but it isn't always demonstrated in a louder, extroverted kind of way. So even if you're a quiet, introverted person, you can still have an inspiring passion. The point is, whether introverted, extroverted, or somewhere in between, to be an impactful witness, to, to have a witness that makes an impact, we have to have a sense of passion. Now the question you might ask then is, well, okay, I'm with you, but then how do I become passionate? Like, where does passion come from? I mean, how do I become passionate in my witness? Which is a great question, by the way. And the answer is, well, what troubles you? The answer to the question is another question. If you want to become passionate in your witness, let's backtrack and ask another question. What troubles you? I don't mean what troubles you in general, like, you know, the fact that you went to McDonald's this morning and they had no hash browns left troubles you. You know what I'm saying? Or, or you went to buy a coffee and all of a sudden you found they were out of hot chocolate. I, don't, I, I get those things. Those trivial things can trouble us. But I mean at a very profoundly deep level, what troubles you spiritually? What troubles you about the war? What troubles you if you're a Christ follower when it comes to people's misinterpretation, misunderstanding of God? We're told in the text that Paul was troubled by what he saw. And what he saw was, was religion. What he saw was, was man's attempt to create a way to God that wasn't working. And that troubled Paul. Well, Paul witnessed as he walked through the streets of Athens all these incredible statues and buildings and temples was he saw so many things that were built for God, small g, but not built by God, capital G. Because we build with practical physical stones, we build columns, and we build these incredible things, but we're told that God's building is made of living stones. The church is, is not a physical place, it's a people. So whether we have a, a physical building or not is kind of irrelevant in a sense because what God is building is never physical, it's always people, and it's always spiritual. I was reminded of this uh, truth this week because uh, some of you are aware I was away for a few days in Budapest. I was there for a series of meetings, global meetings, just talking about the future of the church in terms of how does the church 
uh, speak to what's happening in the metaverse, Web, web, web 3.0, you know, virtual technology. It was a really cool symposium where leaders from around the world were discussing our future and our strategy for how it responds to where our world is going in terms of technology. And one of the days, we went on a tour of the city and we got to visit this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful basilica called St. Stephen's Basilica, which was built uh, over 150 years ago. And as you walk through this building, like any major basilica in the world, I mean, it's just out the beauty, the, the artistry, I mean, it's just incredible. It's literally inspiring. It's, it's awesome in the pure sense of the word. And you walk around and you're looking down. There's so much beauty to the side, up and around. And everything about the place is beautiful. But I couldn't help recognize as I was walking through it that what was supposed to be, what would you call it, a, a marker of a movement had become a monument. Like what was supposed to contain the actual thing God is building the church was empty. And when I looked at the calendar events to see what was the next big event coming up, the next big event coming up in this building wasn't a church service, but a concert for classical music. And again, I actually like classical music, so I'm not against that. But the point is this, is that we have a great example. We see so many great examples of things that were built for God. Man's effort to earn something from heaven. Man's effort to, to impress heaven versus things built by God. And what's even sadder, I think this is why some of you in the room right now who are not Christ followers, not people of faith, one of the reasons why you're not is because you see things like this and you see the price that was paid by people and the abuse that sometimes happens to make these things possible. Like, for example, the ceiling is full of, of gold leaf and all these wonderful ornate things when in many times the people around it in the city were suffering and dying of things like starvation. And we see that hypocrisy and we go, man, how, how can God be in that? And if that troubles you, that's a good thing because it troubled Paul and it troubles us too. You see, the question must be asked, what do we see that troubles us? What, what, what do you see that troubles you? Well, here's what God sees because it's one thing to say, what do I see? But here's a better question. What does God see that troubles him that if we're Christ followers should trouble us too? And what God sees right now in the world, he sees greed. He sees deceit. He sees injustice. He sees division. He sees war. He sees lust, addiction, murder, and abuse. And all these things, of course, and we, we, we label them, we understand these terms, but all these things we're told biblically comes from sin. Now we think, you know, we're programmed, most of us from a religious background think sin is, you know, uh, uh, being bowled spiritually. Like, you know, just, you know, sin is like, oh man, like God, is, God hates all the sinners and all this kind of stuff. But essentially, all these things that we know and we describe, all these things that trouble us, all these things that distress us, are actually come from the same place. Because have you ever wondered for, again, if you're not a Christ follower, here's an interesting thought for you to, to ruminate on as we go through today's message. Have you ever wondered how the default mode of human beings is never towards the good, but always towards the bad. Like, we never have to teach our kids to say mine, but, to, but we have to teach them to share. We never have to teach our kids uh, to, 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 um, to react sometimes with violence, but we do have to teach them to say sorry. It's like the default mode of the human heart is always towards the bad, never the good. And you can live in the freest, most richest, most intellectually, uh, what would you call it, you know, de developed, mature part of the world, and still all these things will exist. Why? Because something deep within us is broken. 
and we can't fix it. And no amount of money or building of buildings or religious observance or, or practices can change what has to be transformed from the inside out. And the scriptures teach us that thing in us that, that, that is the root, these are just the fruits of these things, is sin. And fundamentally, as we approach Good Friday, this coming Friday, and we think about Jesus dying on the cross, this is why he died. He died to solve this. He died to, to like, like when you have weeds in your garden, and you go out there and you pull up the leaves and it's gone, and you go, oh, I've solved it. Like, I, I've got rid of greed, deceit, and injustice, and it's all gone. And you come back after a while, and it grows, it's grown again. But now it's even bigger. Why? Because if we don't deal with the root then the shoot and the fruits will keep showing themselves. We see it time and time again through history. You'd think in Europe, in Europe that we would have learned our lesson that war is not the answer and you can't just vilify a people and invade their country and kill them. And as the scandals now come out of the crimes against humanity in places like, like, like Bucha and so on, we see that there's something deep driving this, something evil driving this and the world doesn't know what it is the world doesn't have vocabulary for it but i'll tell you what 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 it's called it's called sin and jesus died on a cross on a hill called calvary to be the solution to this problem you see the world is full of questions when it comes to these things the world is full of questions but empty of answers. Yes, we can see the surface, we can see the war, we can see the crime, we can see the injustice, but we, but we can't, we have no answers for what is driving it. Which is part of the reason why throughout history, so many cultures, so many people groups have reverted to worship. And this is interesting, why? Because, because people, people need to work, because, because our society and our world has so many questions and so few answers, people throughout history, and even today, and even maybe some of you watching right now in the room or online, you're watching, you're thinking, well, I'm not a, I'm not a Jesus follower, I'm not a Christian, I don't worship anything. Well, you may not worship Jesus, but you're worshiping something. You're worshiping someone. We all worship something. This isn't just unique to our moment right now. This was also true back in Paul's time. Let's jump to verse 22, where we're told this. We're told Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus. The Areopagus was like a, it was like a, why would you describe it? It was like a town hall style place where people could come and share ideas and debate. The Athenians loved debating. They loved, I mean, this is where Greek philosophy came from. They loved and valued debate and conversation, and people would come with these new ideas and be allowed to share them and the, and the people sitting there could, would engage and push back and so on and so forth. So, so after Paul's time in the city, he was invited to come to the Areopagus and we'll come back, come back to that at the end. And he said, people of Athens, I see that you are in every way very religious. So Paul starts with a positive. I, I see that in every way you're very religious. So many temples, so many statues. I mean, there's so much going on here. And I, I, you know, what Paul is saying is I affirm not the practice, but the hunger. I see you're desiring to grow and learn and seek God. And so he applauds that in a sense. For verse 23, for as I walked around and looked carefully, he watched carefully at your objects of worship, this is interesting because this, this is the Greek, this is the Greek Roman world, the free Western Hellenistic world that we build so much of our world off of, and yet then, just like now, everybody was worshiping something. I even found, he said, in the midst of all the worship, all the temples, I mean, gods of war and gods of love and gods of harvest and gods of whatever, all these different types of gods. He said, in the midst of all, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown god. So, I love this. The Greeks were so smart. They're like, hey, we have so many gods. 
But what if we missed one? Like, what if we, what if we missed, what if there's a God out there and we don't know the guy, right? And we have all these statues and this one dude has no statue. And what if he has like power and we're in trouble? So just to hedge our bets and cover our backs, let's build an altar to the God we don't know, to the one we left out to the one that we haven't seen, to the one that there's no, been, been no witness of to this point, let's build an altar to that God. And so the Apostle Paul, being cute as he was, as we say in Ireland, he sees his opportunity and he uses it as a platform to, sh- to teach them, to show them the God they don't know. For he says, so you are ignorant in the, in the technical sense, as you are not knowing, of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So Paul, distressed by the brokenness and sin of that society, is motivated through passion to share with the people there, albeit in a very extroverted way, standing up in a, in a debating room. But nonetheless, he is prepared to be a witness for the very thing they don't know. But it is interesting, isn't it, that in this, in this what you might call evolved, intellectually uh, mature, you know, uh, society that everybody was worshiping something because at the end of the day, like I keep saying, everyone worships someone. Everybody is worshiping someone in the sense that whether it's a deity, whether it's a ideology, whether it's a philosophy or a lifestyle. I mean, you you may say I worship nothing. That's your worship. Like I believe in nothing. That that's what you that's what you're worshiping. Worship is ascribing worth and value. It's lifting up beyond yourself. Something that's, that's important to you, something that's beyond you. And so whether it's a, a way of life, you know, I, I want to make money, I want to be famous, or it's a philosophy, you know, I'm into, you know, peace and all this kind of stuff, or meditation, an ideology, well, if we could just save the planet and save the whales, all the problems will work themselves out, or some other form of deity, another world religion, the thing that we have to come to terms with, especially those of you who are watching right now or in the room with us who are not Christ followers, is that all of us are worshipping someone. Nobody is worshiping no one. Like nobody worships no one. Nobody worships no thing. But the problem is, is someone or anyone is not their one. And here's what, here's what, the, here's what the, the, the intellectually elite Athenians had the humility to see. That there may be somewhere out there a, a God with a capital G that we missed. And if that's true, that we want to make sure that we are ready for him. So the question becomes then, when it comes to all this, all this hunger, all this desire, all this seeking, is what hope do we have? Because if, if there's so many ways to worship, so many things to worship, and so many, you know, look, yeah, hey, what, what I believe is my choice, it's my business, and you know, I think all people should be able to choose whatever. If, if, if there's no way to have a singular truth with a capital T, then what hope do we have? Because let's be honest, our pluralistic society where everyone can believe anything, which by the way, as I was chatting to somebody the other day, I was saying, you know, the ability, the freedom of choice, the freedom of religion didn't come out of a vacuum. Like, like if, if, you want to, if you want to have a different kind of lifestyle, you can't do that in countries like Russia or China. Like atheistic societies shut down the very freedom that many people who don't love God, don't, don't agree with God, live in. In fact, the only reason why we have this freedom was because most of the Western democracies in the world were founded on Christian principles which advocate the dignity of the individual and their choice of lifestyle and belief system. 
So, if we, so, so thank God for that. I'm, I'm, again, I'm not, just to be clear, I'm for that. I'm just saying that if, 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 if in our pluralistic democratic society, you know, no idea is their idea, no one is their one, then what hope do we have? Because the world is broken. And it isn't getting better, right? I mean, those of us who've existed in this generation, look at our lifetime. Look what we've, we've already been, been through in a very short period of time. We thought things like wars and conquests and world wars and nuclear bombs were like things of the past that we had evolved out of and away from because we're much more sophisticated than our ancestors. But here we find ourselves today, don't we, in the midst of, of a global war again, well, a sense that, you know, the war is happening in the Ukraine worship, but, but the whole world is involved. It's a global digital war in a sense, a media war and definitely a banking war and an economic war. And we also have the, in the background the tail end of a global pandemic. So if there's no solution, if there's no answer to all the questions, then what hope do we have? And I just hope in, in, in the, in the meta-narrative, big-picture perspective, but bringing it down to very real life, very practical, what help do we have? Because <laughs> if we have no hope, then what's going to help us live our day-to-day -day lives? What hope or help can we have in the face of greed and deceit and injustice and division and war and lust and addiction and murder and abuse? Sin? What hope do we have to help answer or solve these very real problems? Here's what we believe. Here's what I want you to think about. And again, if you're a Christ follower, here's what I want you to get passionate about as we approach Good Friday, as we approach Resurrection Sunday. And if you're not a Christ follower, here's what I want you to be open to. We believe in the gospel. We believe in the good news. We believe in the good news that Jesus died for our sin to pay a price. So there is a solution to the power of sin in the world. And that really as Christ follows what we are is living examples of God's love at work in us. We believe that he shared not only in our suffering but also in burial so that he who is resurrected has the power to resurrect one day all those who love, follow, and serve him. And that ultimately what we are is witnesses of this fact. The reason why we believe there is hope for humanity is because Jesus came in humanity and defeat the things that humanity have never been able to overcome. The gospel isn't just some religious doctrine that we follow. The gospel changes lives. The gospel is changing lives. The gospel changed my life. The gospel is still changing my life. And the gospel can change your life too. And one of the things that I am passionate about, and one of the things I hope for in our church and through our church, is that we would be a community of faith, something not built for God, but by God, and therefore for God, that would be a lighthouse to the nation. Because here's my underlying assumption. I don't believe Ireland has rejected the gospel. I just believe Ireland hasn't heard it. I believe what Ireland has seen are man-made things that, that are, were built off the backs of so many people for God with a small g, religion, but Ireland is yet to hear the true freeing news of the gospel. Why? Because the gospel doesn't require an, you know, some kind of worldwide organization. The gospel requires a simple witness. And what is a witness? A witness is someone who can verify or validate a truth. You and I, every single one of us who are Christ followers, all we have to do is verify. You know, people say God loves. Can you verify that? Yes, I can. 
People say that God heals. Have you been healed? Yes, I have. Can you verify it? Yes, I can. A witness is someone who verifies or validates a truth. And here's three things, very practically. And we're going to kind of shift the corner now again and begin to bring this thing into land. Not just the message, but also the whole series. What are we called to verify or validate as witnesses? And again, if you want to take notes, this is very simple. The first thing we're called to verify or validate, number one, is that Jesus loves We can get wrapped up in all sorts of arguments about theology, but fundamentally, Jesus loves. And he proved that love by dying on the cross for it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus, we have to wonder, if you're here and you're you're not a Christ follower thinking, oh man, could God ever love me? Listen, he already has. He's already answered your question. Because every time we look to the cross, we see the proof demonstrate Jesus' love demonstrate on the cross. And the second thing then is Jesus lives. We're called to validate and verify the fact that Jesus lives. That most of us or all of us who are in this room who are Christ followers, we are witnesses of the fact that Jesus isn't just some distant faint memory that is captured in some beautiful painting in the Louvre or some wonderful sculpture in Rome. That Jesus lives and we've experienced him and we are experiencing him and he exists in our world and we have a relationship with him and despite the fact that he was buried, he rose from the grave in spite of it. Jesus, Jesus loves, but Jesus lives. And number three, Jesus liberates. Jesus is the great liberator. The fact that Jesus sets people free because of it. We're called to verify and value the fact that Jesus doesn't lead people into bondage. Jesus doesn't set people free from one form of bondage and lead them to another form of bondage. That the heart of the gospel, we're told, the gospel, Jesus came into the world to destroy the works of the enemy. And where, where Jesus is, there is freedom. There is freedom. The God, the good news brings freedom. Freedom emotionally, freedom spiritually, freedom physically, freedom eternally. Jesus loves, Jesus lives, and Jesus liberates. This is our simple witness. It's a simple thing, three simple things that we are called to verify and validate in our generation. Now, as I begin to bring us to, to a close then, we haven't really talked about rejection yet, have we? No. What we talked about is the importance of having passion, and, and that whether it's a quiet passion or an extra passion, we still need to care because we can't be effective witnesses if we don't care. We have to care for the fact that sin is destroying people's lives and that the gospel has the power to transform them forever. So we talked about the, the value of passion, but we also talked about that essentially everyone is in their own way, shape, or form trying to answer the questions of the heart. And if we can see that our gospel message is worth telling, maybe not everyone, even right now we're watching in the room, maybe not everyone will receive it, but it's worth us witnessing for. And what are we witnessing? Just three things, that Jesus loves us, that Jesus lives, and that Jesus liberates Let's finish by talking about rejection. Let's go back to our story for our final scripture. In verse 32, we're told, when some heard, so Paul tells the gospel, and when he gets to the point where he talks of the resurrection of the dead, that's where he lost them. Because people were tracking with him, but as soon as he started talking about that, that the Christian faith is fundamentally based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, our worst, our worst nightmare, everybody, big crowd, you get your, 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 your pinnacle point, and people start laughing at him, sneering. Not just like, not just like passive laughter, like, <laughs> like a, oh, don't be ridiculous, what an idiot. Like, start sneering at him. But that, and you know what's so funny is sometimes the reason why we're hesitant, the reason why we push back and say, I can't witness, is because we're so terrified of this. But we don't realize that just because some sneer doesn't mean all do. 
Yes, some sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. So at that, Paul left the council. We were told in verse 34 that some people became followers of Paul and believed among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus. So here's one of the, one of the kind of chief intellects who joined Paul and also a woman named Damaris and a number of others. What's the point as we bring this thing to a close? The point is our witness will always have a mixed reaction. Our witness will always have a mixed reaction. All we can control is the communication of it. People have to decide their response to it. What we see in Paul's witnessing on, 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 the, on what the Romans called Mars Hill, the Greeks called the Areopagus, what we, see in, what we see in Paul's witness in Athens is there were three different kinds of responses. And I believe these, these serve as a good template for how when we witness the kind of responses that we will get. So the first kind of reaction we see taken from the Apostle Paul's example is that some people will sneer. Now, I would love to bubble wrap the life out of this thing for you and put it in a box with all that styrofoam and make it so safe that I could, leave, I could let you leave today with the guarantee that people will never be mean, never laugh, never belittle you. But the truth is, that's just not true. The truth is, no matter how good we are, how hard we try, some people will always mock, ridicule, sneer, and laugh at our witness. No matter how relevant our message is, some people will always reject it. And here's my personal thought on this. Their rejection isn't on the base of the message. It isn't what we're saying that they're rejecting. It's not, it's not what's going on in us or coming out of us that they're rejecting. Very often it's what's happening in them that's causing them to reject it. And we've got to be careful that we don't allow our identity and our sense of value and our sense of self-worth to come from what other people think of us. Their personal choice should not affect our core person. Their choice to laugh at, ridicule, mock, or totally dismiss the passion and the sense of, of, of authenticity in our witness shouldn't, I mean, obviously it stings because no one likes being rejected, but it shouldn't sting so far that it becomes poison. Like a bee sting, okay, it hurts and no one's to be stung by a bee, but it isn't like being bitten by a snake. Okay, and sometimes what really should be a bee sting, we allow to become like deadly venom poison. Our acceptance and our validation for Christ followers comes from Christ. I'll say it again, who you are and what you're called to do and who you're called to be doesn't come from the world or what people around you think of you. It comes from who you've been called to be in Christ. And Christ has called you to be many, many things that someone sneering at your witness should not be able to take away from you. So the bottom line is, when we proclaim, when we share, when we witness to people, some people will sneer. But here's the, here's the thing, not all will. Why? Because we're told, number two, that some will want to hear more. Some will say, okay, I'm not convinced. Maybe right now you're in the room and you're in this camp. You're here, not a Christ follower. You're not quite sneering. Thank you. I appreciate that. But you're not convinced either. You're in that place of like, okay, I'm interested, I'm curious, I'm tracking. You know what? I, I, want, I, want, I, want, I want to process this. I, I want to scrutinize this. I, I want to go away and really think about this. But ultimately what you're saying is, is I want to hear more. I cannot make my mind up yet because I need more exposure, more information. And we've got to be careful, those who are Christ followers, we've got to be careful that we don't fall into the trap 
of thinking that people who, who don't just jump on board and receive the message are, are always against it. You understand what I'm saying? Like people who sneer it, yeah, maybe they're against it. But a lot of times, those who don't embrace it fully aren't against it. Like not all who reject the message outwardly will reject it inwardly. Just because certain people get caught up in the moment and say things or think things or their face display something doesn't mean that inwardly they're against what we're saying. Man, we notice. We know the difference, don't we, of reaction versus reality. We know what it's like to be told great news, like you're having a baby, and sometimes your reaction cannot be a positive because it's so shocking. It doesn't mean you, you reject it, I didn't want to inwardly, it's just that your body wasn't ready for the news. And sometimes when we share with a colleague or a co-worker or a friend our faith, and that it's real, it's authentic, and it's based on the fact that Jesus didn't just die on a cross, but rose from the dead, that's pretty shocking news to someone, right? That's, that's, that's different. And sometimes we need to understand that just because they don't jump our board or fully agree, doesn't mean they've rejected it. We need to afford people the grace of space. We need to afford them the grace, the generosity to allow them to process. So sometimes we witness, and yet some will laugh and some will mock and so on. But a lot of times, most people will be like, I, I want to hear more. I just, if you just give me the grace of space and don't judge me too quickly, you know, I want to go away and think about this. And maybe I'll come back to you and ask more questions. What, what happens in our witness is very often we think all people are going to sneer, all are going to reject, and all don't want to hear. But that is not true. And even at the height of, of, of uh, you know, the Athenian culture, as P the Apostle Paul proclaims this incredible message of hope, hope and help for the world in a resurrected Christ, even though some sneered and even though some wanted to hear more and weren't sure, number three, we're told some will want to follow. And here's what I'm suggesting as the antidote to rejection, that even though some will sneer and even though some will be uncertain, there will always be people there will always be people that when we witness, they will want to follow. There will always be people in your circle of friends, in your office space, in your wider family, on your street, in your town, in your city, in your village, in the world. There will always be people who when they hear and see our witness, their response will be, I want to follow. I'm praying right now that some of you watching today who are not Christ followers, who maybe started off sneering and progressed to, I want to hear more, maybe today is there where you make a decision. You say, I want to follow. We can't control the outcome. All we can do is be faithful in our validation and our verification of what we have experienced in Jesus. Because here's the truth. Here's the confidence that we have when, we, when we're afraid of rejection, that the gospel works. It works. It works. It changes lives. It's changing lives. It has the power to break even the most stubborn of worldviews. I am a prime example of this. The gospel works. We just need to give it a chance. Listen to me. If you're a Christ follower, we just need to give it a chance. Get it out there. Share it. Just, just, just speak it. Just share. I mean, everyone's entitled to their worldview. I was chatting with someone last Sunday after our service. I said, hey, isn't it interesting that if you believe this thing, you're, you're, you're entirely proud of it in our world, or this. And I listed a bunch of things that are very pervasive in our culture. I said, how, how is it you can be proud and people accept and even celebrate with you your pride in your sexual orientation or your pride in your political worldview here? But the only thing you're not allowed to be proud of and celebrate is your Christianity. I mean, we, we, we need to fight for this, friends. 
we have to give it a chance. And maybe to flip the coin, maybe again you're here, you're not a Christ follower. Maybe you need to give it a chance. Like before you completely reject it forever, like have you really opened your heart to God? Have you really given him a chance? Have you really surrendered yourself to the point that maybe it might work in your lives? We need to give it a chance. We need to be witnesses that show that Jesus is worth following. That he's worth it. Not that we're worthy, because we'll never be worthy for what he's done for us. But that in our following, in our passion, in our love for him, that Jesus is worth following. And if our witness is passive, and it's like, well, kind of, and it's, it's kind of like, you know, do you want a Snickers or a Mars bar? Like, if that's our witness, then it has no power. But if we, if, if we can be passionate, and if we can be authentic in that we know, we know, we know that Jesus loves. And we know that he lives. And we know that he liberates. If we can show people that Jesus, as Jesus is worth following, I believe many will follow. But again, it's like gardening. I'm not that I'm an expert in gardening. Believe me, I'm not. But you can have... You can have a perfect garden. You can have all the soil ready and all the nutrients in the soil and have all the elements and do all the things that you do. I don't know the terminology, so I won't go there. You can have everything ready. But until you sow the seed, nothing happens. I mean, you can, you can have everything ready, but until the seed is in the ground, nothing can grow. We need to sow the seed of the gospel message. We need to be committed to sowing it wherever we are, with whoever we are, and trusting that God will make it grow. Our job isn't to produce the growth. Our job as witnesses is to show the world Jesus worth following, that he loves, that he lives, that he liberates, and that if they would open up their hearts and give him a chance, and that seed would be planted, that seed wouldn't just change their lives, but could save their lives forever. As I finish, let me tell you a story. A couple of years ago, I actually was in the city of Athens. I'm going to show you a picture of the Areopagus. Now, this was the foundation. If you can imagine, imagine back in the day, there would have been steps, very Greek-style steps in a big temple, kind of like when you see the Acropolis, which actually is where this photo was taken from, the famous Acropolis with the temple in Athens. And uh, what's so sad today is you go there, is that's all, all that's left is the bare rock because it was destroyed after multiple invasions. But as I got around and walked around, just pondered, like, you know, gosh, this is where Paul had that conversation. Like, this is where people, this is where some of the first Athenians and first Europeans said, I will follow Jesus. It was amazing. And when I went on the, on the site, I found over this side, I found an inscription on the wall in Greek, just as in the New Testament. I'll show it to you now. And this is actually the Apostle Paul's sermon from Acts 17 in Greek. The very spot he spoke these words in Greek, at the very spot he spoke them 2,000 years ago. And my mind was blown, like, oh my gosh, here I am. And at first, like, my heart was sad, like, oh, man, like, what was, this is, this is a great moment in history. This now became a monument, right? And so much of what, what happens is, is God breaks into moments and we create monuments. And not that all monuments are bad, but God doesn't, God doesn't give us moments to become monuments. God gives us moments so we can create movements. I'm standing there, I'm pondering on us, and all of a sudden the, the thought dawns on me that here am I, an Irish Christ follower, who wasn't raised in faith, 2,000 years later, standing in the very spot he spoke this message, actually being the incarnation, the, the embodiment, the fulfillment of this prophecy. Because here I am, a European, 2,000 years later, and I am someone who has decided to follow. I began with sneering, 
I then wanted to hear more, but now I'm a Christ follower. And it just struck me that even though we, we mourn for the things that are built for God, the things that are built by God will last forever. And in actual fact, even though the, the Areopagus or Maritus called is gone, even though the temple is gone, even though Paul is gone, the power of the gospel still remains. Because the thing that Paul proclaimed 2,000 years ago was alive on that day in my heart. And the heart of every single person on that monument, on that hill, who also were Christ followers. Let me tell you, friend, the gospel works. It has worked, it will work, and it will keep on working. It will never fail. It is the power of God for salvation. It's the only thing that can answer the problem of sin in our world. It's the only thing that can speak to the brokenness of the human condition and liberate us from the, from the grip of sin, which works out in greed and hatred and injustice and murder and war. And we as the church, we as Christ followers, we need to be witnesses to this fact. So as we close this series, as we close this message, I want to ask you a question. Will you be a witness for God? And if you will, very specifically, where is God calling you? You. Where is God calling you to be his witness? Maybe he's calling you to be, be his witness at home. Maybe like me, you're a person that, that follows Christ, but your family don't. And maybe God is calling you to be his witness, to be someone who can verify and validate. You don't have all the answers. I get it. But you can say, listen, I know he loves, I know he lives, and I know he liberates. Maybe God has called you to be his witness at work. Maybe it's time to stop hiding your faith. When all your friends are talking about all the things they believe in, maybe it's time for you to pray to the Holy Spirit and say, give me power. Give me power to be able to speak with passion in this moment about how much you mean to me. Maybe God's called you to witness a school, which is so hard, I know. I became a Christ follower at 16. It was so hard in school. But nonetheless, if we can be brave, we can be courageous, I believe God will honor and answer our convictions. I can remember being in school and being witness, and some of my friends would laugh. And you know what? You're in school. People are really, really cruel. But nonetheless, I just did my best. And many of my friends, believe it or not, many, yes, some sneered, and someone to hear more, but many of my friends became Jesus' followers because I was a witness at school. Maybe God's called me a witness at college. Rather than, being, rather than being taken over, overcome by what they're doing, let them be overcome by what you're doing. Help them see the power of the good news. Maybe God's called you to be his witness online, in your commenting, in your posting, rather than just putting something up there and going, it's out there for us. They think, is this a good witness? Is this going to help people see Christ? Or is it going to move people further away from Christ? We need more people. We need more Christ followers being intentional of their online witness. Maybe God's called you to be witness in your singleness. To show the world that Jesus is worth following, not just when you're married, but also when you're single. And what does that mean? Maybe God's called you to be his witness in marriage, in how you love and serve each other. The bottom line is God's called us to be his witness in everything. God's called us to be his witness everywhere, and God has called us to be his witness to everyone. And I want to be part of a church. Not a physical monument built for God, small g. But I want to be part of a movement that's built by God. That's proclaiming to our society the good news. Jesus loves, Jesus lives, and Jesus liberates. And so much, as I close, so much, so for so, so much time we talk about St. Patrick's example, and just a few weeks ago we celebrated him. But one powerful quote that I want to finish with that St. Patrick wrote down in his diary is that he prayed to God to give him perseverance and humility that he would be a faithful witness to God to the end of my life for him. 
I, I often say, it's not enough to celebrate St. Patrick. We need to emulate him. He was, the, he was at the forefront of, an, of a movement of God that transformed not just Ireland, but in fact most of Western Europe to the point that we still talk about him today. But what was his prayer in his generation? God, give me perseverance, the strength to keep going. Give me humility to not be arrogant and prideful and help me to be a faithful witness to the end. And I believe as we this week invite friends to come to Easter next Sunday, as we share Jesus, we talk about, as we, as we seek to be God's people, the movement of God in our workplaces, in our schools, in college online, as we seek to be people who, who, are, who validate and verify the truth in our world, I believe that God will honor that. Some will sneer. Some want to hear more. But many will follow. And if we can see those who can follow and see them being worth it, if we can be passionate about the fact that the gospel works, I believe, yeah, we'll still be, we'll be afraid. But courage, courage is not doing something because fear doesn't exist. Courage is seeing fear and choosing to go forward anyway. And courage for us is knowing, not everyone's going to like this, but if we lovingly, graciously, gently and humbly share God's word with perseverance, share the good news with perseverance, then some will follow. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that I was, at one point I was, I was some. <laughs> and if the people who shared to me had given up, I wouldn't be here. But they didn't. And many, many people are waiting for you to share with them also. So as we close this series, let's just stand to our feet. Come on, everyone in the church, everyone stand up. Let's stand to our feet. As we close up this series, I don't want this to be a, an intellectual thing or a rational thing. I want it to be a powerful thing, a practical thing that works in our lives. And how we're going to finish today is very simple. I'm going to ask everyone right now to close your eyes, bow your heads. Everyone, come on, just close your eyes, bow your heads in both locations, online as well. And all, all I want to ask you to do is I want you to ask God for three things. I want you to ask God for passion, passion for the message, passion for the witness, passion for people. I want you to ask God, number two, for a sense of purpose, like a direction, like like where is God calling you to witness? Like, is it what's God saying to you about school or home or work or online? Like, what is God saying to you? What is God's purpose for you in those places? Now, number three, I want to pray for perseverance. That as you commit to being faithful and consistent in your witness, that God's power, come on, will be made manifest in our lives. So, every head bowed, let's pray. So, Father, we thank you. For this incredible message that we have, the gospel. It has changed us. It is changing us. It's been changing people since Christ rose 2,000 years ago. And it will continue to change people for years to come. Thank you, God, for giving us the gift of the good news. It is hope for humanity. It is help for life. And I thank you, God, that we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, working through us, helping us in this world. But Father, I pray right now for every single person, would you speak to us? For those who do not know you, for those who are in the sneering camp or want to hear more camp, I pray today would be a day that they would choose to follow you in Jesus' name. That they would make a step, that they would go to the Next Steps team and say, hey, or fill out Next Steps card, I want to follow Jesus. And as they take that step, I pray you would meet them halfway and you would take them by the hand and you would lead them into their extraordinary purpose for their lives. For us, God, who, who know you and follow you and serve you, I just pray that you would give us a boldness, a passion, a vision for people. That we would not be afraid. That we would see the danger. We would see the risk. But that we would be courageous to speak up and step out anyway. That we would verify and validate that Jesus lives, Jesus loves, and that Jesus liberates. 
And whether it's school or at home or at work or in college or online, whether it's in our singleness or in our marriageness or whatever isness it is, I pray that as we as we endeavor to be lighthouses, many will see the hope of that light and want to be set free. So God, I pray, help us to be a people that doesn't build things for you, but is being built by you. That we would take moments like this and that you would turn them into movements, not monuments. And that our great nation, all four provinces, all the counties, all the people could hear the good news that Jesus loves them, that Jesus lives for them, and that Jesus can liberate them. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Hey, we are so grateful that you could join us today. We really hope and pray that you were encouraged, that you feel blessed by this message. And you know, it would really help us if you could click the like button and also subscribe to our channel because we want to get this message across Ireland and the world and that would really, really help us. So please go and do that. Um, and also to let you know that you can watch and listen to previous messages and find out a whole bunch of stuff on our website, Lighthouse Church. And something else that's really cool, Jake. Tell us about something our else. Today. Yes, guys, we have a brand spanking new Lighthouse Church app. Yeah. So make sure to go download it on our website or you can download it via the app stores. And there's a lot of cool things in there. You can rewatch previous messages and there's also some downloadable content for you guys. So make sure to download the Lighthouse Church app. And there's also the Old Fashioned Bible on it. Bible is important. So, and you know what? Even better than this experience today that we've had is church in person. It's just so good. We meet every Sunday morning in Navin and in Dublin. You can find out all the information on our website, uh, but it's at 11 a.m. every Sunday in person and we have the best time. So come join us. Uh, we would love to have you with us. So we'll see you next week for Lighthouse Church Online, 7 p.m. Yes. right here. And also don't forget to follow our social media handles, lighthousechurch.ie. So we'll see you next week, guys. Bye.